Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late. The train's crazy. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. The talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Thank you, Jelly D. I'm so excited to introduce Jelly D the intern to people who don't know you. Hi, everybody. I've been waiting for this <laughs> moment in my whole life. <laughs> it's good to be here. And I'm even more excited about my guest today, Martha Wainwright. Oh, I fell in love with her during the show. I don't mind saying that. She's oh. just such a lovely person. She's lovely. Inside She's and funny out, man. and brilliant. And I, I know that that word's so often overused, but in this case, it couldn't be more apt. Mm-mm. I'm going to recommend you go to the mailing list, employeeofthemonthshow.com. Get on it because I get a lot of emails from people being like, I didn't know about the show. And that's because our marketing is very spare. Our marketing team is very sparse. <laughs> You're and, listening to it right now, I guess. Yes. <laughs> and um, just get on that so that you'll know about live tapings in the future because it was such a privilege to hear her live. But luckily, there were also videos. If you go to YouTube slash Monkeys Are Adorable, you can check out the videos. And I hope you really enjoy our interview as much as we did. Mm-hmm. So Martha is going to start out by playing us a beautiful song. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm going to um, I sing a song that I didn't write. Because uh, this is not about writers here at all, is it? No. But, no. I, it, but I, uh, I, my mom wrote it. And uh, she was a great songwriter, so. And, and also because um, I'm, uh, she wrote it, her name was Kate McGarrigal, and she, uh, uh, she wrote it for a musical with her sister, uh, Anna McGarrigal, that was never produced, uh, never made, um, never staged, and you know, maybe someone will hear it here at the public theater and think uh, it should be staged. And, and, I, and I'd like to see it on, on stage. Um, and the only way that I envision that happening is if I play the lead, I've decided. <laughs> uh, I really have come from Canada. I forgot to wear shoes tonight. So I didn't bring any. I should have known better. They warned me from the start The gentleman who climbed the ladder Heed the rules but not the heart They're blinded by the promise That if they play the game their star will rise They never look to see what shines Right Brilliant and strong. And I 
heart, Neptune's trident Or Mercury's waves Circe's powers Or Saturn's rays I want to end the search Of the philosophers of old And touch that stone That turns it on do anything My aim is to achieve I'll eat the apple that was offered to Eve I'll eat it all and I'll out of me Cause I am like that lion I am Teeth. No you do, you have very nice teeth. Yes, you. Yes. Um, it was so beautiful to hear you singing your, your mother's song. Thank you. Um, I, I have a picture here from when, when you were young. For, for those who don't know, um, this is you as a baby. In 1902. <laughs> You've yeah. aged well. Uh, thank you. As, yeah. a, as a woman of my same age. Um, <laughs> How does it feel playing your mom's music? Um, you come from this phenomenally musical family for just the few people who don't know. Kate and Anne McGarrigal um, were exceptional folk singers who were very mm -hmm. beloved. Yeah. Um, what's it like playing her music? Well, you know, for the longest time, I was forced to, and it was a pain in the ass. Gro growing uh, up? Growing up. And uh, we would... We would um, Stand singing, and if you and my mom and and uh, her sister Anna were really into harmony, it was really annoying. And uh, <laughs> you know, if you got the note wrong, they would be standing behind you. They were very, they're very beautiful. My Anna my Anna is still very beautiful, but and, and and very Canadian and had like kind of you know like braids and a nice you know beautiful little kind of hippie outfit and they would be standing in behind their children and if you'd seen the note wrong, they would pull your hair from behind. Yeah. And they, um, your brother Rufus is, is also a singer and songwriter. And, oh, he loved every minute of it. And he loved every minute of it. <laughs> there's these, there's this ridiculous footage of us at, at like a folk festival, like a Newport folk festival 
And I guess they just never thought to get like babysitters or something. So like Kate and Anna were on the stage playing like various instruments, <clears throat> singing, and um, the sun is always beating down. Folk festivals, everybody looks terrible. And um, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, Sylvan Anna's son is over here in the corner, like playing with some toys on stage and the cables. And me and my cousin Lily are like. You know, in the corner, like running around, and Rufus just like, oh, I'm singing, you know. <laughs> he was singing Stephen Foster songs, Countdown Races, you know, ridiculously eager. <laughs> pain. So gay. So young. No. <laughs> I think you'll be, be happy that the, the Guardian once wrote that Rufus gets the most hyperbolic press. I didn't yeah. know if you'd like that quote. Yeah, well, you know, he deserves it. So there you go. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things is you all have such distinct voices as singers. I mean, you, both points of view um, and then your voices are all incredibly distinct. And it, it's, there's no mistaking you for someone else. No, no, no. And, we're, and we've, uh, stylistically, we're kind of different. I mean, uh, you know, I'm obviously very, uh, uh, you know, um, Influenced by my parents' music and 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 all that stuff, but I mean, I think when when I was growing up and listening to them write songs, and and then my brother started writing songs, I realized very quickly that the only way that I was going to be able to be heard is if I either swore a lot or you know in my songs, or but also had something that was kind of more definitive, something kind of definitive, and something that was uh, set me apart from them, you know, in that. Uh, Things. So it was a lot of yelling and things like that. Your first, she's being uh, humble. Uh, your first cassette uh, yeah. was Ground Floor. Yeah. I don't yeah. have No, you don't have a picture. It's pretty cute. <laughs> um, it's too small for, cassette tapes are small to put on. Yeah, they're very little. Yeah. Little thing. Um, when did you write that? How old were you when you wrote that? Well, I didn't, uh, you know, I don't know, 17, 18, I started writing songs. I didn't write songs from like a 11 year old or anything like that. You know, I. Only in uh, your family, like having a father who's a musician and a mother who's a musician and a brother, would you think that that was something wrong, that that was inadequate to well, start at 17? To any, any other human being, that's exceptional to start Well, with. I was trying to be exceptional. I was trying to not write songs and to <laughs> do something else. And, and then I realized that, you know, it would really just be a lot easier and more fun to be a rock and, in rock and roll and like I could quit school which I did once I started writing songs and and uh, and you know I used to feel guilty about not graduating and then I think of university and then I think of Concordia all the, Concordia and then I think of all the money that my poor cousins are doling out now for their loans and they don't have work either so I feel I did the right thing that uh, the world is totally unstable now yeah, yeah. It's, so you better pick what you love right drop out <laughs> If you're someone like me, it's a better, yeah. It's a better way to go. Yeah, I think so. Um, you speak French and English, and you perform mm -hmm. in both. Yeah. Um, and you have albums in both. You have a beautiful tribute album to Edith Piaf. And I was curious, do you write it in one language and then translate it to the other? Well, I didn't write the Edith Piaf songs. That I figured out. But, but, there's, another, but there's another French album that you have. <laughs> no, I mean, I... Uh, um, some guy found that really funny. Um, but there is, a, there is another French album that you did as well. Uh, yes, it's, it's called Tr Trauma. Trauma. 
Trauma. Trauma. Trauma. And, for and, people and in New York. And, it, and, and I uh, translated I, a few of my uh, songs, my English songs, into French. With a friend of mine, I, I she, you know, because I, I speak French, but I'm not really, I don't feel comfortable writing in French, like writing songs in French. But um, the Me record, neither. Right, right. It's hard, you know. Yeah. And um, but they I they needed me to do a bunch of songs in French and to make an album for this television show Trauma, and I thought well if, in case it sells any records I should try and get some of my own songs on it because that would be interesting to sell a lot of records I've never done that before so I thought that maybe this would be the way to do it so I had a friend of mine translate the songs but I didn't want her to change them too much just very literal translations because I didn't really want to share the publishing with her and I said just. <laughs> Word for word, you know, and they really work well, and uh, so it's fun to sing in that ridiculous French way. It's you know? beautiful to yeah, hear you sing in that ridiculous French way. Um, you have sort of a, a rare um, blessing and, and challenge of having so many family members who are so gifted, um, but it's particular in your case where all of you guys also sing about um, issues with each other. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering what that experience is like for you. Are there any house rules now? Oh, no. No, there's no house rules. I mean, I... <clears throat> like, I have a picture of you with um, one of your father's songs, um, Rufus is a Tip Man. Let's see if we can... Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, that, oh, no. that's a different... That's with Leonard Cohen I was going to ask about. Yeah. Uh, working with him. But yeah, Rufus you, is a Tip Man. Yeah, no, yeah. that's a great T-shirt. I don't think Rufus or Loudon likes it when I wear that T-shirt, so I wear it all the time. And Loudon is, is Martha's father. Yeah, Loudon Wayne Knight III, great songwriter, and he wrote this song called Rufus is a Tit Man, which he decidedly is not. He's a dick man, but, you know... Um, uh, but why, what, your father hitting you, uh, Rufus was a tit man, um, pretty little Martha, the five-year-old. I mean, yeah, I can't... Imagine it's all good, all good until it's not good. Now, yeah, there's also another song that my dad wrote, and um, I used to sit in the audience and go, God, this song is terrible. I feel so terrible for this woman that the song is about. It's called I'd Rather Be Lonely, and it says, Every time I, I see you cry, you're just a drone of every woman of I've, I've ever known. I'd rather be lonely. And um, I remember I was on tour with him as a as a uh, just starting out and um he started to talk he talks a lot on stage and he told the story of who the song was is about and it's about me because i lived with him when i was 14 and it was a disaster and uh i mean i thought it was normal you know he was 45 i was 14 it wasn't going to go well but you know but it, for him it was really i was terrible and uh so he wrote that song and so when i heard that i was like well you know it's it's uh, the gloves are off, you know. But uh, well, you've had a very sweet revenge in that not yeah. only are you able to write such phenomenal songs, um, but they resonate so well with so many people, even if we don't have the same well, that's, family dynamics. I think that's the point that came out of all of this is that you know, um, and I really learned this uh, going to my dad's shows, you know, because my mom's songs are like really really personal but really subtle, and so there there would be really like. Um, personal details but you wouldn't know it like unless you you um knew her you know like a song called tell my sister she sells t tell my tell my sister to tell my mother i'm coming home alone and she says it's because she had had a miscarriage you know but so she had the subtlety thing 
Whereas Loudon did not have subtlety um, at all and does not really, like that's not what he's going for. And then I remember being in an audience with him and all of the things that he would talk about with his parents and his relationships and the wives or whatever and the children, all of these people were like crying in the audience and like laughing. And I realized they don't care who it's about. It's not about who he's talking about, it's about them. You know, and the minute it's out of his mouth, it's no longer our story. It's the guy, the guy's story. And these guys would come, these like big guys would come up from the bar with like, uh, in New Jersey with like sneakers and dreams, be like, you, what you said about your mother, you know, that's how I felt and I couldn't say it, you know? And I was like, oh, that's what, they're, that's what he's doing, you know? And I think that that's the same thing with uh, the songs that he wrote about me, good ones and bad ones, and the songs that I've written about uh, other people and myself and him and all these things. It's very quickly, the minute they're out of your mouth, they're for other people and for, for their own experiences, you know. What was it like working with um, Leonard Cohen? You did such a beautiful job on his album, and I had a picture of, of you with him. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, uh, Le that's Leonard, and then that's uh, Viva's first birthday. Viva is Rufus's uh, daughter, who's Leonard's grandchild. <clears throat> just, you know, just making the, the, mu the music well, you know, family Rufus even larger. Rufus knows to go for the big time. <laughs> so, you know, that... Uh, I like but, that he wore a suit to a, a Oh, yeah, he's only ever birthday. in a suit, you know, and he sleeps in a suit. But I've known Leonard since I was a teenager because I used to uh, hang out a lot with his daughter. We were very good friends. And, um, and I was a huge Leonard Cohen fan. I always have been, always will be. And, um, and I remember hanging out with her in her house in LA. And I, you know, then you would see the character, you would see this guy in a fedora and in the suit, you know, walking on the lawn, you know, and there would be like a beautiful woman with him. And it was like this calmness. And he would, hello, Lord God, come in. <laughs> and then he would ask me to play my songs for him. And I would play the songs, and Martha, I really like that song. And, and then I was practicing songs, and he was living upstairs when I was his, at, her, at his daughter's house. And then he, he came down, and he said, I've been listening to that song. You've been writing, I think that's really wonderful. I, I don't think you should, um, you know, don't sell that to anybody. And, you know, I want you to make sure that you, if you sign a record deal, that these people will allow you to be who you are as an artist. And it was like very paternal and very lovely and very loving. And it was a big deal for me, obviously. That, uh, But he took a lot of time to listen and to, to, to give advice and all these things. So that was nice. How do you choose who, who works on the albums with you? Like, I, I know you've worked with Pete Townsend. You've worked with a bunch of different people. How do you, how do you pick... Well, I don't, you know, the, the thing with people like Leonard Cohen and Pete Townsend and um, Donald Fagan, and these are guys that, I've, that, that I think what happened is they have a tendency to really know a, a lot about music because they're really smart guys and they listen to a lot of things. And I think that they maybe saw in me, you know, someone who was maybe under, um, uh, that, that nobody really knew about. You know, so oftentimes, uh, you know, with Donald and, and Pete, that they came to me and said, you know, Martha, I think you're really great. And I think they wanted to help me to, to, to be more known, you know, and contribute and, you know, just spread the word. So, and, and sort of, you know, take me under their wing a bit and, and, and help me, you know. And has acting, you're now in HBO's Kate, um, Kit Kittredge. Olive Kittredge, yeah. Um, Olive Kittredge, I apologize. I yeah. it was confusing with the doll. I think there's a, yeah. a, <laughs> an American girl doll. Um, this is you in that. Has, yeah, has, they aged me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. I has sent acting this to my helped? iPhone. 
Has acting helped with my aging process? No, no. I look terrible. <laughs> no, I had to play a woman who, who was uh, uh, up to 75. So that's me with some aging makeup, which was fun. And uh, it's a fabulous uh, program it's on HBO. It's a fabulous with program Francis on McDormand HBO with Francis McDormand. And um, uh, it, it, was, it was a great thing that they asked me to do it. Very exciting. Do they yeah. discover you from your music? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, Lisa Cholodenko, who, who directed it, who... Um, oh, she's who great. The she did The Kids Are, are All right. right. She She's a fan, and she contacted me, and, and she has me playing this character, Angela, who is a an alcoholic uh, um, singer. So imagine that. You know, such a stretch. <laughs> really had to dig deep. You are not an alcoholic. No, I'm not. It's true. <laughs> a functional one. How's yeah, that? Yeah, I'm holding okay. it together. Yeah. Um, and you almost uh, gave birth on stage at one point. Is that true? Uh, yeah, yeah. To uh, my uh, my first uh, son was born um, uh, uh, unexpectedly. Um, I knew I was pregnant, but. Um, <laughs> I was on the road. I was drinking a lot, and no, I was on the road, and uh, we. I had a week left in, in, in my promo tour, and I was singing PF, which is undecidedly, like really not maternal music, and um, you know, up there screaming my my ass off, and uh, and then I was and I was in London at the time, and and uh, was uh, just seven months pregnant, or yeah, and. Uh, started to have contractions and finished out the show and because I didn't want to freak everybody out but then went to the hospital and then he he had a, we had an emergency C-section a few hours later yeah but he's all right you know he's great but it's it's really I always skipped all of those chapters in the baby books of you know preterm baby so really I had no idea you know of what what 30 weeks meant and what that looked like you know and I asked all the questions when I was there. I was like, what are my options? You know, like, is it, like, what? I really didn't know, you know, and I was like, I don't think m most people do. Yeah, well, you just, yeah. you know, it's your first child, and you just, you know, you just imagine him or her being uh, completely normal and everything being completely normal, you know. And it's inspired you to do all, a lot of work on infant, you know, uh, in terms of maternal mortality. And yes, infant yes, mortality. yes. It's uh, with Christy Turlington asked me to, to sing some music for her film, No Woman, No Cry. And, you know, you just realize when you're in uh, those neonatal units that uh, it's really dangerous having children. And it's a miracle yeah. every time it happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would love to um, have another miracle happen, which is to get to hear you sing again. Is that possible? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. How does that sound, guys? wanted to hear yeah this is one of my favorite songs it's it's helped me um and again i'm projecting what i thought it was about i, I love it it's helped with a lot of breakups um but you can also tell us what it's really about <laughs> well no i think that's exactly it. it's just a i think it's an anthem them like it if you're angry it's a good song if you're a little bit mad and for you it happened to be about your father well i wrote it based on an argument that we had but i thought you know when i spurted out the lyrics at the end i thought it was funny you know I, I, get, I don't think he thought it was that funny. But, you know, <clears throat> that's all right. I live. Um, thanks so much. Poetry is no place for a heart to hold. I'm young and I'm strong, but I feel old. 
over fire I've been poked and stoked, it's all smoke, there's no more fire Only desire For you whoever you are For you whoever you are I guess in my time here, it's been some sort of joke I've been messing around Some sort of incubating period but when I really come around, but I'm cracking up And you have no idea, no idea how it feels To be on your own, in your own home With the fucking phone, the mother of blue In your bedroom, standing all over your head With a hand in your writing. You are so talented and wonderful. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. If you enjoyed the episode, please go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate it. You can also go to YouTube to Monkeys Are Adorable. And if you subscribe, Google YouTube will even let us change our name to something that's related to Employee of the Month or to me, Katie Lazarus. But I can't do that until I have 500 subscribers, which seems a little insane because how are you going to get those subscribers if they don't know where to look? But now you know where to look. You'll find it 
You'll subscribe. All will be well in the world. If you want to donate, donate. You can go to employeeofthemonthshow.com. If you want to nominate folks, you can go there as well and find out about live tapings. Join the mailing list because I am not big on marketing. I would rather spend the time researching our guests and bringing you these delightful shows. So if you want to find out about future ones, go to employeeofthemonthshow.com. Get on the mailing list to come to tapings. Thank you to Ian Mazoff for editing this together as well as Josh Rogerson. And thank you to all of you for listening. That's it. I'm Katie Lazarus. I'll talk to you soon. Ah!